We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and I was, as I was preparing and thinking about this message, this Jesus, Jesus' teaching is so radical and so surprising, so unexpected, so contrary to the norm. Sometimes we really miss it because this is his most famous teaching, and so everybody is familiar with it. So I was thinking about what would what would happen, what would the headlines be if Jesus were preaching and we had like cable news at at that time, or if there were shows about what was going on and they were reporting on what happened after Jesus gave this message. And in this short section, just a couple of verses, there is a lot of material. I could see it being something like this. Jesus, is he a lawbreaker or a legalist? Because there are some times where he seems to totally disregard the laws and the traditions that most religious people were following. And then there are uh, times like this where he's saying, you got to obey the letter of the law. You, ha- you can't set aside the least little bit. So it's, it's kind of confusing. Is Jesus a lawbreaker or is he a legalist? And then most incredibly, so Jesus is teaching and he's saying the Pharisees who are the most religious, most fastidious of all the people who are following the law, they're not good enough. He says, every last scratch mark in the law is binding. And then he says, the Pharisees, as religious as they are, they don't go far enough. This would have been amazing, incredible, shocking to the audience that first heard it. Now, we just kind of say ho-hum because we're so familiar with it, but I want you to, in this message, kind of grasp the earth-shattering statements that Jesus is making. And it, it does lead to a little bit of confusion because for those of you that have been around church for a while, perhaps like I have, you see in Jesus' own teaching where he completely sets aside some of the traditions of the law and in fact sets aside whole sections like the dietary requirements of the law. And then there are other times like this where this, this passage really kind of confused me because it, he's saying you're not going to, until heaven and earth passes away, until everything is fulfilled, then every scratch mark, every jot and tittle, every little scratch in the law is binding. And so how do you square that circle? And the question that we're asking really is this, what is the believer's relationship to the Old Testament law? Now, this is important in a variety of ways. Number one, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to do what Jesus wants you to do. You want to follow what he wants you to do. So it's got to, you got to square that circle and figure out, well, is what part of the law is binding on us? What are, what do we require? What is required of us? And then what parts can we safely disregard? And, um, And the other thing is that you will probably at some point in your Christian walk have somebody come along to you who will tell you, oh, no, 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 you can't just discard the Old Testament law. You have to follow the law. You have to follow it. Some people draw the line at different places, but they will someplace along the way say, this is binding upon you. At one of my previous churches, we had several couples that had come out of a tradition where they thought... The, uh, they, they were taught that as believers, as followers of Jesus, they had to do everything in the Old Testament law, dietary concerns, the calendar, the observation of all those different laws down to the last letter. 
And in part, they probably base that on this passage that we are looking at today. So it's important for you because you as a follower of Jesus, you want to do what Jesus wants you to do. And it's important for you because you're going to have other people come into your life, perhaps at some point, or be exposed to some kind of teaching that's going to tell you something different than what you have heard before. So let's figure this out and so that we know, so we have confidence as we walk with Jesus. Now, the other thing that I wanted to point out uh, because we are in this series on the Sermon on the Mount, as I've been studying it, as I've been going through it, it's been really good because I've, I've, I'm seeing the structure of the sermon in a way that I haven't before because I've been spending so much time reading it and studying it. And the thing that I want to point out to you is that I think one of the main themes here is the idea of a contrast. Uh, and you're going to see this over and over again. We started with the Beatitudes, which was contrasting the values of the kingdom of God with the values that we're used to. And then, perhaps most uh, key, we looked at salt and light. What's the point of salt and light? It's the contrast. It's when you put salt on food, it, um, it brings out the flavors. You have bland versus flavor. You have corruption versus preservation. And then light. The, the, I mean, that's the biggest contrast of all, light and darkness, right? And here, we're going to go into an introduction. This is really the introduction to the next sec, uh, section of the sermon. And here, Jesus is going to contrast outward performance with internal transformation, And then you might be familiar with how the sermon ends. It talks about two paths, the narrow gate and the wide gate. It talks about two different kinds of trees, the tree that bears good fruit, the tree that bears bad fruit. It talks about two different kinds of foundations on which to build your house, that of rock and sand. Contrasts are all the way through this. And I just want to point that out to you as we're into it, because I'm seeing it and you're going to see it more and more, that that is an organizing theme of the Sermon on the Mount. But back to today, what I've called this message is fulfilled, fulfilled, how Jesus makes us right without making us self-righteous. What we're really talking about today is this idea of righteousness. Now, when I hear righteousness I, think, I, I tend to think of religiosity, right? You know, kind of a holier-than-thou attitude. These are the things I do. These are the things I don't do. It's been really helpful for me over the last couple of years to be exposed to the idea that righteousness is really all about right relationships. It's a right relationship with others. When you're righteous, you are treating others right. You are doing right by others. When when you are doing righteousness, you are in a right relationship with God. You are giving him the honor, the glory, the credit that is due him. When you are doing righteousness, you're in right relationship with yourself. You're telling yourself the truth. You are um, you are honoring the creation that God has has made in you. Righteousness is really about right relationships, right relationship with yourself, right relationship with others, right relationship with God. And so Jesus in this passage, in this whole sermon, is talking about how, how do we get into, how do we maintain, what does it take to be in a right relationship with your world, with yourself, with others, with God. And what he is doing is, and this is the bottom line for today, if you want to go ahead and fill it in, 
Jesus is shifting our focus from superficial conformity to radical transformation, from superficial conformity to radical transformation. Like so much religion in our world as in Jesus' world, it was focused on the externals. It was focused on looking right before others, about following the letter of the law and not necessarily the spirit of the law. And what Jesus is doing is shifting that focus away from what things look on the, like on the outside to what is going on in the inside. So let me walk you through the points. Again, we'll come back to these so you don't have to write these down right now. Jesus is not setting aside the law, but fulfilling its purpose. He makes that clear right at the start. And then he says that the law, the reason he wants to fulfill the purpose of it is because the law points us towards true righteousness. And they had got it kind of twisted in their day, just like we do from time to time as well. We get it twisted. We focus on the externals, on looking right rather than being right. But he makes the point that this kind of righteousness, authentic righteousness, is not optional, but it is required. He's not setting aside doing right by others, having a right relationship with God, having a right relationship with yourself. He's actually ramping it up. He's not doing away with it. And then again, as I pointed out from the very first message in this series, it's all about Jesus. It points us back to Jesus because Jesus is the only one who can bring about true righteousness. This authentic transformation from the inside out is a job that only Jesus can do. So practically speaking, at the end, I'm going to challenge you to do this, to pray a prayer of search my heart, to allow the Lord to look inside you and show you what's going on on the inside since that really matters. And then I'm going to challenge you to keep showing up because this is really just the introduction to this section of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is about to give six case studies in what he's talking about today. So come back so that we can go through it together. The passage I'm talking about is Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen as well if you like. So this is what it says. Jesus speaking. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writing of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. That's where fulfill the law comes from. Translation says to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But if anyone obeys God's law, and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, again, I'm so, I, I'm so excited about this because it's so transformational. It's so good. I pray, Lord, that you would communicate this through your spirit to the hearts and minds of everyone who is listening here, now, online, later, 
whatever the case, your spirit is present. The author of these scriptures, the author of these sayings is here and present. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, apply it to our heart, safeguard us from false teaching and getting off track, and help us to experience that internal transformational uh, change that only you can bring about in our hearts and minds and lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So what's Jesus doing? He is shifting our focus from the superficial conformity to radical transformation. And he starts out with this statement. He says, I am not setting aside the law, but fulfilling its purpose. Not setting it aside, but fulfilling it. This is what he says in the opening verse of this section. Don't misunderstand why I have come. Now, why does he say that? I want to remind you that we're in the gospel of Matthew. There are four gospels. Each of them have a particular purpose and focus and a particular audience in mind. You may remember or you may know that the gospel of Matthew is focused on the Jewish believers. It's focused on the Judeans, the people who come from that religious background. And it's showing them that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the prophet like Moses, the branch of David, you name it, all the different ways that the Messiah is talked about in the Old Testament, saying Jesus is the one you're looking for. But this would have been a little bit difficult for many people to to accept for a lot of different reasons, but including the fact that, like we said, Jesus often seemed to be setting aside the law of Moses and the prophets. For example, in the dietary laws, for example, in the observance of the Sabbath. So it would be understandable if people had heard a little bit about what Jesus was doing and thought, well, he's, he's just totally disrespecting the law of Moses. He's completely doing away with it. So what Jesus does here is he deals with that objection, the contemporary objection and misunderstanding that people would have had about him, that he was there to just blow everything up. So he says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. Now, this was uh, a shorthand for what we call our Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. It was made up of three different parts, actually, the law, the prophets, and the writings. You'll hear in the Bible Project, they use the acronym for that, which is the Hebrew acronym, acronym, which is Tanakh. It just means the law, the prophets, and the writings. Sometimes they would just say the law and the prophets. It's just a short shorthand way of referring to what we call the Old Testament. And he's saying, I'm not trying to get rid of it. I'm not wiping it away. I'm not abolishing it. He says, I came to fulfill it. Literally, that's what it says. I came to fulfill it. And this translation helps to explain it by saying, no, I came to accomplish their purpose. So a lot of times when we hear fulfilling the scriptures, we think of prophetic foretelling, and then the event actually happens. Oh, it was fulfilled. Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. The the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. Oh, that fulfilled the scripture. And that's one way of explaining it, but it's actually a lot deeper and a lot more nuanced than that. 
it's like, uh, and, and this, this will help in understanding those prophecies as well. You have things like uh, the, the, the slaughter of the innocents where King Herod demands that all of the babies under two years old in a particular area be put to death because he's trying to kill the next king of the Jews in his crib. And so that's what happens around the time that Jesus is born. And it talks about a prophecy from many years ago where it says that Rachel is crying for her children. Now, there was a particular context in that from hundreds of years ago that explained that. And, and, and it was, you know, the people are sorrowing for their children because they are being killed, because they're being invaded, because the country is being invaded, because these oppressors are coming in. But so you could say that, you could look at that and say, well, that's not talking about Jesus. That's talking about this thing that happened so long ago. But a lot of what happens in the scripture is that it's pointing towards Jesus, it's telling this story, and there was this thing that happened, but now it's like that squared. There's something new happening, and it echoes the past, but it's filling it with a new sense of meaning. And I think that's a good way of explaining and understanding what the scriptures are saying when it says that the scriptures were fulfilled. It's filling it with a new and more powerful meaning that was that was it had a context for the old context as well but now you see a fuller context and you see it unfolding in Jesus because the point of the scriptures is to point us towards Jesus so when it says i came to fulfill the law and the prophets it's not talking about foretelling the future and that foretelling coming true it's saying i'm taking this core of our religious tradition and i'm filling it with its fullest meaning i'm i'm actually accomplishing its intended purpose that you've kind of missed the point on, and I'm here to explain it to you so that you get it right, so that you don't miss the intended purpose, but fulfill the intended purpose. So that's the whole big context. Jesus could have been misunderstood to say that, to think that he was trying to get rid of the law. He's saying, no, the law is good. I'm actually fulfilling its purpose. I'm taking it to the next level. And that next level is a shift from superficial conformity to radical transformation. So he's not setting aside the law. He's fulfilling its purpose. And the law points us towards true righteousness. The purpose of the law was to point people towards true righteousness. But they got it twisted and we're just looking at the superficial observance of the law rather than true righteousness. So look at what he says. He says, Next, he emphasizes what he's just said. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, I mentioned earlier jots and tittles. That's what it literally says there. Not a jot nor a tittle will disappear from from the law until it's all fulfilled, until it's all achieved, until its purpose is achieved. What that is, it's kind of like the same way we talk about dotting I's and crossing T's. It's the tiniest little mark in our writing. What do we say when we're saying dotting I's and crossing T's? We're saying we're paying attention to the details. 
Here, it's doing the same thing. These were the smallest marks in their writing. And he's saying, we're, we're paying attention to the nth degree. We are following to the, 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 the finest details of the law. And he's saying, it's not, gonna, it's not gonna pass away. It's not gonna be set aside until, and notice there are two untils there. I've, tr- I've highlighted those. Until heaven and earth disappear, until its purpose is achieved. Now, as I look at it, I could be wrong, but I think that those are in parallel. I think they're talking about the same thing. He's saying, look, it's not gonna, I'm not gonna set it aside, but uh, 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 when heaven and earth disappear, then you can, you can, you can disregard the law. And until its purpose is achieved, he's there to accomplish something. That's, he said, I don't misunderstand why I came. I came to fulfill its purpose. That is what he is aiming for. Now, you could understand that to say, it ain't ever going to happen. Heaven and earth disappear. That ain't ever going to happen. But it will. It will. Jesus later said, heaven and earth will pass away. And you know what the second half of that is? but my words will never pass away. My words will never pass away. So he is saying, there, there will be a time, and I think this is a little sidetracked, but it's a little bit helpful. There will be a time when heaven and earth disappear. The apostle Peter talks about it in 2 Peter. We've looked at this before in the series on 2 Peter. But the day of the Lord, remember the day of the Lord? That's when history wraps up, when Jesus comes and draws a line across history and says, no more. The kingdom of God in all of its fullness shows up. It's the day of judgment. It's the day of salvation. Uh, it is when everything comes together. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief. It's going to be unexpected. You're not going to be able to, to, uh, to put it on your calendar ahead of time. You don't know. And if somebody tells you they do know, they're wrong. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. And another passage that talks about how in the past, God destroyed the world by water with the flood. And he said, he's going to destroy it again, this time by fire. It's all going to be burned up. Now, this might sound a little bit scary, but it shouldn't be scary for you if you're following Jesus. You're going to be transformed. You're going to be made new. You're going to cross from death into eternal life. It's all going to be good. But he's describing this thing, when the heavens and the earth will pass away. It's all going to burn up. Next, uh, next verse, the day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. Again, just emphasizing destruction by fire. But, then the good news in verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Think about that for a second. That, that, That phrase could give you chills if you think about it. Righteousness has found a home. Righteousness fills our world. Wouldn't that be awesome? to have right relationships with everyone, a completely unhindered relationship with your heavenly father, a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Now put, put these scriptures together. I didn't come to destroy, but to fulfill the purpose of the law and the prophets. There'll be a time when the law is not, was done away with, but it won't be until heaven and earth are done away with. What will happen when heaven and earth are done away with? There won't be any law because there won't be any law breakers. 
There won't be a need for a law because everything will be set right in the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. So I think this is just another way. Remember how I said the whole, I, I think part of the, part of the point of the, the Sermon on the Mount was Jesus was binding everyone over to guilt. Saying, you thought you were doing okay, but you, you didn't make it yet. <laughs> you still don't have it right. You need forgiveness and you need a savior. And I'm he. I think that's what's going on, the subtext of the whole passage. And I think it fits with, every once in a while, I like to bring up our paradigm. We did a whole series on this, the, our, our paradigm for understanding the Bible. And the big idea of that whole series was the point of the Bible is to point people, point us to Jesus. What's the whole point of the scriptures? Point us to Jesus. What is Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He's pointing us to our need for him that we don't have it all together. We think we're okay, but we're not. We're guilty. We broke laws. We're not, we're not quite as right as we thought we were, but it's okay because I'm gonna go to the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and I'm gonna put new life in you so that righteousness will dwell in you. So what's Jesus doing? He's shifting our focus from superficial conformity to radical transformation. He said, I'm not setting aside the law. I'm actually fulfilling its purpose. I'm pointing you towards this idea of true righteousness. And just to reemphasize, this kind of righteousness is not, this authentic righteousness is not optional. It is required. He just wants to make it clear for everybody. I'm not here to set aside the law, the moral requirements of the law, the doing right by others, by God, by yourself. That's, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here to make that happen, to bring it into the, the here and now, to take a little bit of that new heaven and earth and bring it back into the right now in this world, the age to come. You get a little foretaste of it in this age right now. And you who are in the church, you who are followers of Jesus, do you realize that's what's going on in you? And with you and among you, you're supposed to be experiencing a little bit of heaven in the here and now. So authentic righteousness, a right relationship with others, right relationship with God, right relationship with yourself, right relationship with your world. This isn't optional, but it is required. And that's what Jesus says. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of your translations might say, uh, obey, if you obey or don't obey. But that's not really what it's saying. It's, it's the idea of setting aside. That's why I use that, uh, that verbiage in the, the, those words in the previous point. It's like, okay, yeah, you've got this law, but we're not going to worry about that. We're going to set it aside. That's what he's actually saying here. It's like, if you set righteousness, the purpose of the law, true righteousness, if you set that aside and teach others to do the same, you are the least in the kingdom of heaven. That is not the way to go. And uh, an example of this, Jesus um, was teaching. Uh, this is found in Mark chapter 7. Uh, and it's this idea of the, the Ten Commandments say to honor your father and mother. But they had come up with a tradition in the temple that says, yes, you should honor your father and mother. But if you decide to give the money that you would have spent on taking care of your parents to the temple, that's okay. That would be okay. 
uh, you know, you, you, can be, you can be exempt from that requirement of honoring your parents because you gave the money that you would have given to your parents to the temple. That's okay. We're okay with that. <laughs> okay. And what does Jesus say? His, his, uh, you, might be, you might have heard talked about Corbin. Have you ever heard of that before? It's a gift to the temple that was in lieu of supporting and taking care of your parents. Jesus' take on that was, you are ignoring, you are setting aside God's law and substituting your own tradition. So this is the kind of thing that Jesus is dealing with and getting prepared to deal with in these examples that are coming up. And then he goes on and says, and you do many things like that. This isn't just a one-off. You're doing this all over the place. Cut it out, right? Back to the Sermon on the Mount. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them, so again, not setting them aside, but obeying them, observing them, aiming towards true righteousness and teaches others to do the same will be called great in the kingdom of God. So he's not setting it aside. He's saying, I want you to focus in. And he's going to explain this because it's a little bit unclear now. What do you, what do you mean? Does that mean I have to be uh, you know, as fastidious as the Pharisees are about all these things and doing all the things that they've added on to the law in addition to the law? Is that what righteousness looks like? Because that would have been the picture that his hearers would have had. It's like, yeah, we, we do our best, but we're not like making this our job, our main thing, like the, the scribes and the Pharisees. That's, that's not what we do. We just kind of do our best, but we don't have to. We got, we got lives to live. We got f- mouths to feed. We got thing, animals to take care of. We got crops to bring in. We can't spend our whole life just focused on these things. So they're saying, Jesus, what, what do you mean by that? And that's where this, this radical jaw-dropping statement comes from next. This is what he says. But I warn you. He's just told them, I've come to fulfill the law. I'm not going to set it aside. If, and, and you shouldn't either. And let's teach others to aim towards true righteousness. And, and, and by the way, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better, I like the translation that says surpasses. Your, if, unless your righteousness surpasses the, the, the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees. Now, to, their, to his hearers, you didn't get any better than that, right? I mean, they were making it their full-time job to do the right thing, as they saw it. And he's saying, it ain't going to cut it. They're not going to cut it. And you're not going to cut it unless your righteousness surpasses theirs. Hopelessness then set in among the crowd, <laughs> Right? Because if they're not going to make it, I am certainly hopeless. There ain't no way I'm going to make it. But that's what he says. I warn you, unless your righteousness is better, unless it surpasses the righteousness of the teachers of religious law, the scribes, and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember what I said? I think the subtext in the, in the, the, the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, you need me. You need forgiveness. You need a power you have not had and have not experienced in the past. Where are you going to get it? And there he stands, right? So what's going on? Jesus 
shifting our focus from superficial conformity to radical transformation. That will make more sense as you come back over the next couple of weeks when Jesus explains this. He gives six case studies in superficial conformity versus radical transformation. But to set it up, he's saying, I'm not trying to set it aside. I've come to fulfill its purpose. I'm pointing you towards true righteousness, not just doing things that look good and make you look good among the religious set. I want to point you towards true righteousness. And this kind of authentic righteousness, it's not optional. It's required. It's, it's necessary. You can't do without it. But the only way you can get it is to come to me for forgiveness, for a power that you've never experienced, for life that you could not have aside from me. He's the only one who can bring about that true righteousness. That's what he's saying when he's saying, he's bringing them to the point of hopelessness and despair so that they can find hope in him. That's what's going on. And that's what invitation we extend to everyone every week of saying yes to Jesus. What are you saying? You're saying yes to his forgiveness that was purchased for you on the cross. You're saying yes to his power and the life that was demonstrated when he raised from the dead and then gave us his Holy Spirit. That's how we live the Christian life. That's how we fulfill the purpose of the law is when we are forgiven and then filled with his spirit. Jesus is the only one who can live the Christian life and he gives his spirit, his power, his presence to us. And just to kind of bring this full circle, so remember, pic- picture the idea of, of dwelling. You know, we talked about how in the new heaven and the new earth, Peter said that, that that's the home of righteousness. That's where righteousness dwells. There's another passage that talks about the new heaven and the new earth at the end of the book of Revelation. This is Revelation 21.3, and it's talking about that day of the Lord when everything is made right once again. And it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. There is going to be a day where righteousness is at home in us, in our world, among us. And we, as followers of Jesus, get a little foretaste of that in the here and now. Not by a dead religion, but by radical transformation, where the law is not set aside, but is actually uh, uh, fulfilling its purpose in us. As we are pointed towards true righteousness, authentic righteousness, which is not optional for the believer, but required. And the only way that that can happen is when we say yes to Jesus and he lives his life in and through us. So this is what I want you to do. Uh, I try to always give you something practical that you can do. We talk about being having a life that is better and making you better at life. This is how that happens this week in response to this message. I'm going to challenge you to pray, search my heart. That's from Psalm 139. Uh, it was part of our dangerous prayers, if you remember that series. And the whole idea is search me, God, and know my heart. What are you doing? You're saying, I don't want, I'm not, I'm not going to be satisfied with dead religion. I'm not satisfied with just doing the externals. 
I want you to work a true righteousness in my heart. And, and in order for that to happen, God has to show you what's in his heart. He has to point out the things that are off kilter, that he wants to change, that he wants to transform, that he wants to conform you to his image and bring true righteousness out in your life. So that's my challenge to you is just maybe every day this week to start out with, Lord, search my heart. Oh God, search me and know my heart. See if there is any wicked way, any off way in me and then lead me in the path of true righteousness. I gave you that whole <clears throat> prayer, that whole section in your growth guide, so you can just follow through that and pray that. But pray that, and then see how God leads you and guides you, because he wants to fulfill the purpose of the law. He wants to bring about true rightness in yourself, among you, and with your God. And I pray and I hope that that will happen as you make that your prayer. And then next, I'm going to challenge you to keep showing up. We're going to go through those case studies. This was just the introduction, and Jesus is getting ready to explain it in detail, and it's a wild ride. So hold on to your hats. It's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. But keep showing up. Make it your habit to be here on Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, you're so good, and we're so thankful that you brought us to the end of, your, of ourselves so that we could find fullness and freedom and life and forgiveness in you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, as we pray that prayer during the week, show us, lead us into the path of true righteousness, right relationship with you, right relationship with others, right relationship with ourselves. Make that contrast that is so pervasive throughout this sermon, apparent in our lives. May we be light in the darkness. May we be salt in a flavorless and, and dying world. And Lord, we thank you because there will be a day where you will complete and fulfill full the purpose for which you came, where the setting right of all things will be accomplished. We live in that hope. We look forward to that day, and we thank you that we get to experience a foretaste of it in our here and now among this crew and crowd. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.